Today's pod is brought to you by Waterfront Comics, located at 609 Main Street, Sassoon City, California. Open every day from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. So if you're looking for a gift for an avid comic book reader or a collectible for a friend, come to Waterfront Comics. John is the guy to see. And if you can't come in person, no worries. Waterfront Comics does ship to home via their email, waterfrontcomics at gmail.com. Hey everybody, this is James. And Marco. And Nabil. And this is the Movie Pals Podcast, podcast number 84. Today we're going to be going over what we've been watching. We actually have a topic of the week, um, brought to you by some of the viewers, actually. And then we have an in-depth review of the 1978 classic, The Deer Hunter. So without further ado, guys, let's get into what we've been watching. Hey, what you watching? All right, another week. We're in the middle of October. I don't know. There's been people watching some scary shit. It's uh, it's it's the life is scary if you just watch the news. So I guess maybe yeah, that's all you've like, been watching. The bill life's scary enough. So I'm just you know I've been watching some, I guess sort of happy shit. No, not really. Yeah. Well, let's let's hear some upbeat stuff here, Marco. What have you been watching? I lied. I haven't been watching happy shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's all doom. I've actually I actually watched some movies. Can you believe that? Oh gosh. Because I was giving shit last pod about only talking about TV shows. So put my big boy pants on, my tie my shoes okay. and okay. I mean I'm we're like, trying we to tally up to James. It's not easy. It's not, it's not an easy <laughs> task to reach. He's been very, very disciplined with the t- checklist. I I don't know if I could ever catch up. I wonder at this point, have I seen more movies than both of you guys combined? Oh yes. yes. <laughs> Hands down, bro. I can tell you right now. In one week you've probably seen more than I've seen the entire year. No, that's. I follow uh, you on Letterbox. I'm like, oh, wow, that looks interesting. I should watch that. I should watch that too. Just keep adding it to the list. He's like, whoa, slow, slow down there, guy. <laughs> but <laughs> I did. I actually did knock one movie off my list. But first, I'll talk about one that was recommended to me by a listener of the pod, Justine. Thank you for recommending this one to me. This one's called uh, "This Film Is Not Yet Rated." Uh, it came out in 2006, and it's a documentary. I saw it for free on YouTube because I couldn't find it anywhere, and I was told it was free on YouTube. So I'm like, sure, why not? Unfortunately, it's not in 4K. It's not even in 1080p. So I don't know if you guys would be into this or not. No, <laughs> free skip. is free. Man. Skip. Free All right, free. what else did you watch? <laughs> it was it was directed by uh, Kirby Dick, and it, it focuses on the secrecy of the Motion Picture Association of America or the MPAA and the inconsistencies that they have with uh, the rating system that they use. Uh, It also talks about some of the experiences that indie directors have versus mainstream directors. Uh, So during uh, the documentary, Kirby Dick launches an investigation, and it just turns out that the MPAA is very secretive. They don't disclose any of their members. They have their headquarters basically like on lockdown like nobody can go in without clearance it's it's just super hush hush uh one example that they give when uh when with them experiencing stuff with other directors is uh matt stone from uh south park he talks about his experience when he was directing orgasmo which is a a movie that he did prior to south park Versus his experience with South Park the movie. So during Orgasmo, they 
they don't really give him any notes or what to do in order to change his rating because they originally wanted to rate it NC-17 and he wants it down to uh, R rating because NC-17 is considered a market killer, quote unquote. So he's asking them what he wants them, what, what they want him to do and they don't tell him anything. So he just sort of like makes cuts and turns it in until they finally accept the R rating. And then he talks about versus South Park when he's now working for, I think, Universal released the movie. They're mm-hmm. giving him all these notes and feedback and say, change this line, cut this scene, uh, maybe take this part out, change this bit of dialogue. And he's got all these set of notes. And it's a total different experience that he had versus like him being an indie director. So they go into stuff like that and how they, they sort of favor the studios more than indie directors because of course being independent you're independent from the studios so that's sort of considered a quote-unquote competition overall it's a pretty interesting look at at the rating system and how it works uh, with with some movies and how it doesn't and and dampens some uh, creativeness for some of these directors i would have liked some more perspective though because they only focus on the indie side of it in my opinion i would have liked to see what main what more mainstream directors have to say about it and what their experiences are and what the studio's opinions are of it to kind of like balance it out more and not make it lean more heavily towards anti the mpaa i mean it's not a perfect system obviously and as you watch the documentary you find out but it's still an interesting watch um again i wonder if, if like what it came out 14 years ago too yeah, I wonder if I, a lot of that information is really outdated now, because it seems it, like more and more indie filmmakers have come out and you know, and not as many. I mean, true. I don't exactly. feel like many people battle the MPAA as hard as it used to be in the mid two thousand. That was a big deal, but I mean, if you see how loose, I mean, there's some pretty rough stuff we could see even on normal TV nowadays. So I wonder yeah. if if that. I mean, it'd be nice to see like almost an update to that, you know. That, that's what I'm wondering too, because like, like you said, James, there's a lot more indie films that are more popular nowadays and that are actually like being critically acclaimed and, yeah. you know, even winning Oscars now and stuff Especially too. Especially so. compared to 2006. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's still an interesting watch. If, you know, you're on YouTube, check it out. Again, it's free. It's called This Film Has Not Yet Been Rated. Aside from that, I did watch a movie that I've been meaning to watch for the longest time and many people I know have been trying to get me to watch this one and i actually got to scratch this one off my list but i saw the last black man in san francisco the 2019 indie drama produced by a24 films so uh, it's also playing on amazon prime video if you subscribe there it's directed by joe talbot and it stars uh, jimmy fails as jimmy fails he sort of plays a pseudo version of his real life self and Jonathan Majors as Montgomery Allen. He's also well known for being one of the main stars in Lovecraft Country on HBO Max. And it also stars Danny Glover as Grandpa Allen. So basically this movie is about Jimmy and Montgomery living in Bayview Hunters Point in San Francisco. And they're sort of obsessed with fixing up this house in the Fillmore District, which is like a super high-end area in san francisco if you're not from the area and the house used to belong to like jimmy's family and so is now owned by white people and he's trying to find ways both legally and illegally to reclaim the rights to the house and that puts him and montgomery through a wild journey and that's basically the gist of the plot but there's a lot of social commentary in the movie has to do a lot with uh gentrification uh pedigree and privilege uh, as well as being vulnerable with friends 
throughout the entire movie you get to to view san francisco in different lights you get to see like uh, how gentrified it's become like for example they show neighborhoods being like torn down and, and being reconstructed into like new high expensive housing that you know not many people can afford unless like you work for uh, like the tech industry and uh, it also has uh monty and jimmy deal with like i said being vulnerable with each other being open with each other about their problems and stuff uh because a lot of like the inner urban areas they they have they deal a lot with masculinity rather than you know being open and honest about your feelings and so and these two throughout the movie have to cope with that and with like the people they associate have to deal with that as well too uh, overall, I really enjoyed it. I loved the visuals that they have of San Francisco. They have these great like pan shots over the city. They have these great close-ups that you get to see of like the housing of the dif- different districts, uh, and it's it, it really romanticizes the city, but it also like points a finger at it and saying like look look what it used to be and look what it's becoming. The acting is very good, and I love what the movie has to say. It's it's very quirky at some parts too. It's very akin to uh, the movie Sorry to Bother You, not not as weird, but it does get a little bit weird in some parts. But o- overall, it's still enjoyable. I I would highly recommend it if you're a fan of indie films or the A twenty four films, or if it really piques your interest. Um, it's I don't think many general audiences will enjoy it, but I still think that it's a must watch, especially if you're like from the San Francisco Bay Area. I think you might really enjoy it. Uh, aside from that, I finished uh, the show Raised by Wolves and HBO Max. Um, I talked about it a little bit last episode. And, man, uh, I was a little skeptical at first about the show because it's very slow. But overall, it's a really well-told story. And it's only just the first few episodes that are kind of slow. And then the story starts to like unravel and, and it's the pace picks up. It does a good job at developing the characters of mother and father and the bonds they have with the children that they have to protect on this strange alien planet. Uh, the characters of Marcus and Sue, who are introduced a little after episode two, also have a really good arc. And, and their story is sort of told in flashbacks, which is really cool and helps establish more of the story. And it also helps connect things to the season finale. And again, I'm being vague because I don't want to spoil the show for anybody. Um, mother has one of who's played by Amanda Collin has one of the most heart wrenching scenes in episode four. And it's just probably, I think probably one of the most powerful scenes in the entire series, in the entire series so far, in my opinion. Uh, but she does such a great job where she discovers something about herself, um, her being an Android and all it makes it just kind of that much more powerful. Yeah. So on HBO max really enjoy the first season. Can't wait for the second season. The season finale was just, fucking crazy but if you've been following along and paying attention then it sort of makes sense so yeah that's pretty much all i've been watching to bill yeah very eclectic yeah. broad choices that you've seen very cool uh what about you james what are you been watching uh nothing actually okay cool so just <laughs> yeah the letterbox the has been a little empty these days i'm like looks like this pod at? is going real well no i'm kidding no. i was like is he alive um, where I the watched... fuck is he I mean, I watched like 17 movies, I think. So, I mean, let me pick out of the few. Uh, I went to the theater a couple of times. I saw, oh, with Mikey, went and saw the Akira 4K remaster in theaters. I'd never seen it on the big screen, so it was really nice. nice. So, if you've never seen it, the 4K remaster is super cleaned up, and I think it's probably the best that movie's looked. So, that movie's 
came out in 1988. Are they, so. they going to be releasing that uh, on a 4K disc as well? Or is that just only going to be... They the are in December, so if you want to watch it in that Very way. Cool. But I do recommend, if you can... Uh, big Screen made a real big difference on the one. It felt really different this time around. Because I've seen that movie six or seven times at this point. So Yeah. The trailer alone uh, looked movie. amazing in 4K. Yeah. I was like, damn. Yeah, it's a it's a solid solid one too. Uh, I also saw the 4K remaster of Total Recall in theaters too, the 1990 uh, movie, and that hands down was uh, the best I've ever seen that movie. So not the Colin Farrell one. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. there's <laughs> even a uh, intro from Paul Verhoeven in the beginning of the thing to kind of explain oh, what they cool. did with the 4K remaster and how it's. Different, and I've never seen that either in uh, theaters, so that was different for me as well because uh, it came out in 1990, so I was only like two years old when it came out. But I will say it was a really cool experience because um, for the most part, that movie's really dated, especially in a lot of the Mars scenes when you realize like they don't really go <laughs> yeah. past that one like area. It's the one really area, just yeah. the shanty areas, and then near the end, like the machines. But I saw it not and Arnold's one too. Arnold's one-liners are just hilarious, man. Like they're just so like it's so cheesy. The dialogue is like damn. It's this peak one liner, and all over you're not it's you. still kind of the last part of the you're me. <laughs> the '80s gore at the end of it too is yeah, but that's also it's this guy that did RoboCop, so I'm not shocked. Yeah. You know, did they and add any funny. new scenes, James, or is just no? The it's just the entire movie was remastered. Uh, like it's super perfect. It's Marco. super cleaned up. Like you can it see every grain in the sand kind of look. It's Every I was pretty bit impressed. of skin from the explosions when people blow up and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's very Every detailed. Every time you see an alien freak coming out, you can just see him like. The scariest part for me <laughs> is the ending where his eyes are bulging out. And I was like. Ah, <laughs> Dude, not, I was not, laughing. Uh, Qua- my not Quato. When Quato's dying. He's like. Yeah. The little baby. <laughs> the little baby thing. He's just coming Quaid. out. With his, he's covered in sweat or some shit. I'm like, why is he sweating so much? Fuck, man. Hella gross. Um. But yeah, I mean that was all. It was really it was fun just seeing that one in theaters. Like I said, and I I'm I'm I've been knocking out since pretty much only centuries open around here. Um, I've been knocking out uh, movies I haven't seen. So anything that comes up, I pretty much am down to go and watch it. So I also went and um, watched the HBO Max original movie Unpregnant. Have you guys heard about that one? Oh yeah, I have heard about that. These these uh this movie is pretty much like right up my alley about these coming of age kind of tales of like like teenagers and like realizing who they are and making their own choices are you pregnant is there something you want to share (laughs) that's what they didn't announce so this movie is about a girl named veronica she's played by Haley lou richardson and she finds out that she's pregnant she's only 17 years old she lives in um this shithole called missouri and then (laughs) (laughs) sounds like it's mine (laughs) Misery. And apparently there's a law in Missouri. If you're underage, you can't get an abortion unless... Yeah. There's uh, only, like, one abortion clinic open. Parents too, uh, so. sign off on it. So she goes to her old ex-friend named Bailey. How very humanitarian of them. Her name is uh, Bailey, played by Barbie Ferrero, who apparently she was in Euphoria, but I haven't seen that show yet, so... She goes to her like, hey, I need help, like, because she doesn't want to tell her friends because they broke up as friends pretty much in a way like they're not close anymore, like social group wise as they grew older they kind of you know separated apart and all this stuff but they have a lot of history and stuff and a lot of things still in common so she basically asked her like hey because the nearest place from missouri is actually new mexico so they do a road trip to go all the way to albuquerque to get the procedure done and basically they run across some i'll just say like zany adventures on the way there it's a road trip movie 
but they kind of realize that they have a lot more in common and they both kind of have their own regrets about their past and such like that. And I thought it was a, a really kind of sweet way. And the, the chemistry between the two leads, I think is really well done. Uh, right you on. constantly kind of like, you like, you care about what ultimately happens to Veronica. Cause it's kind of like, fuck man, this is pretty fucked up. And, right. uh, obviously it's, it's trying to give a message to about how the, availability of such clinics and how different state laws are quite frankly kind of backwards in a lot of places and it shows it it's not too heavy-handed on that it's still it's really more focused on like the relationship with the two characters Mm -hmm. which i liked and about making your own personal choice and not worrying about what other people think about you so i i like that a lot and um i highly recommend it so if you have hbo max it's really funny too by the way i found myself actually laughing because they do some (laughs) of the dumbest shit together like they have a dance they do when they cross a uh, state border. Each time they cross. Yeah, it's kind of it's silly like that, like stupid things. Like that's cool. I don't even know if I can do this anymore. They're just driving. Then I know they just hit it in sync like perfectly, <laughs> and they haven't like talked to each other in like ten years. So it's just like oh god. So it's one of those. So I'd highly recommend it. Uh, I don't watch too much shit on HBO, but this is one of those things that I definitely wanted to watch because I knew it was kind of like mixed reviews, but I liked it a lot. I highly recommend it. Nice. So if you're looking for one of those movies, and it's not like sad or, truth is not even too happy, but I mean it's one of those. It's a it's a solid film, so, and original. So that's one of the things I did like. So you don't get to see a lot of those kind of films. There's only they only come out as a very rare find, especially. um, Yeah, and recently I've been trying to knock out a lot of 2020 films to add to my like. So I have a plethora of movies to choose from for our best of. Tell you truth. So I have a list of like 2020 films specifically that I'm like, I have to knock out these next 12 movies. Like I want to make sure. So it was on it. So knocking out my own little list. And then uh, lastly, prepared. yeah, exactly. There's all these, fuck, there's too many movies, man. Strangely enough, I never thought I would say I, that about At least you're knocking them out. I'm taking my sweet ass time with them. I'm just like, hey, I, got, I knocked one out. I'm good. <laughs> Well, mine's I'm more good like, for another month. There's a certain amount of movies I want to watch before end of year, so I yeah. know at least I've seen it, even if you guys have seen it already. But it's just like one of those things I just want to knock out just to make sure that I I don't want to be like because there's no excuse this year. Oh, I didn't have time. Yeah, we had plenty of time, so we'll knock out 2020 yeah. films. No, why haven't I seen no shitty ass Doolittle yet? No it'll, it'll happen eventually. Yeah, uh, depends, but yeah, true. Yeah. So, lastly, though, I started uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor, the new uh, Mike Flanagan uh, series, I guess, on Netflix. It's a, um, it's not really a sequel, but it's the continuation of kind of The Haunting of Hill Manor, if you saw that one at all. It's a really good one. From 2018, I want to say now. So, this is, yeah, this is 2021. It's a totally different uh, story. It's based on, I think, The Turning of the Screw or something like that which um, apparently The Turning was based on earlier this year. So, strangely enough, I'm watching fucking reiterations of the same story twice now. So, look at me. Uh, fortunately, though, this one's really good. So, it uses a lot of the same cast as Haunting of Hill House. So, if you liked the cast from that one, I mean, pretty much everyone in that. I mean, Mike Flanagan does this with all his movies, too. He kind of uses a couple of the same actors or actresses that he tends to like to work with. Um, so I'm on. Yeah, I noticed when f- I finally saw Doctor Sleep, I was like, Oh, oh really? Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot in that one. But I mean, even go back all the way to like Oculus and shit like that, and then um, Ouija and all that shit, the prequel one. But uh, really cool. It takes place in 1987. It's about a 
lady, a young lady in her twenties named Danny that comes to Bly Manor to take care of the two kids there, and she soon realizes. I mean, does this sound like I'm talking about the turning, right? Fuck. Uh, <laughs> no, she, it's a, she, I, I've been watching it as well. I, I did just yeah. finish that, and it's it it starts out kind of the same way, but it, it's oh, you finished it actually? A different kind of film. Yeah, it's definitely okay. A I'm on episode down. five so far, so. Uh, yeah, compared to the turning out, there's, I mean, there's plot actually. So, there's a there's a big difference. But so far, I'm really liking it. Um, I do like the hidden ghosts as well. I think yeah. they're a little more obvious in this one. Oh, he does that I'm again looking. in this. Yeah, that's yeah. dope. Uh, that's all I'll say. I won't say anymore because I know it has somewhat to do with the plot this time around. Yeah, because I really uh, enjoyed that with Haunting of Hill House a lot. Yeah, this time around though, it's. Some of them are really obvious. Some of them are pretty well hidden. Mm-hmm. It is pretty creepy when you see someone like moving in the back, or it's just like a soldier standing in the back, and you're like, "What the fuck, right. man?" And um, I will make a mention here. I'm gonna just do a little braggadocio because I know I'm running out of time. But I recently just upgraded my sound system to Dolby Atmos now, so I can listen to everything in Dolby Atmos on top of Dolby Vision too. So I'm just Ooh. getting the best of the best, but. This show sounds really fucking good, like sound-wise on Netflix. I know only a few shows are Dolby Atmos set up, like a lot of the newer ones, but when there's a jump in this one, there's a jump. Like, whew, like sounds are really deep in this one, and I, I really am enjoying the experience so far, so I'd, I'd have to say surround-wise, if you do have a proper setup for a show like this, I think it kind of adds to experience too, which I'm enjoying. So, uh, Probably by the next pod, I'll have it done. I mean, truthfully, I'll have it done by tomorrow tell you so <laughs> it's one of those shows like i just started yesterday i'm already through five episodes so i mean yeah probably gonna knock out another three tonight so one of those kind of things so so far i really like it i'm glad that uh you liked it overall in the build too um i'll say from my five in i'm not it's not as good as haunting of hill house but it's entirely different kind of setup and story so i can appreciate that so that's what i'll say so far once again i haven't finished it yet so i'll hold off any final like thoughts on it till um next pod so sure it's the same yeah, length as haunting hill house too 10 episodes yeah, but an hour episode and 10 episodes like, yeah. 10 episodes uh okay. there are only nine episodes in this one so should be easy to catch yeah. up then so you definitely have been busy watching quite a few different things as well so glad to hear you guys have been all over the place yeah um, what about you i have not been as all over the place it sounds like <laughs> um i tried to stay in the theme a bit of uh kind of the halloween season um, of course, when watching that Haunting of Bly Manor, so mm-hmm. like same as things as you were saying, it's like a, it's a good show, different story. And I did just want to kind of mention on that too is that it's 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 not your typical ghost story, which I liked, especially as you keep going on and you start understanding what's the reasoning of everything that's going happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't find it as like scary as Haunting of Hill House. Um, no, I'll say even just five episodes in, I only jumped like once, I think, only because yeah. I didn't think something was going to happen, and it did, and I was like, fuck. You well, think it's because we used to his style now, and we kind of are expecting that? I'd, and I think it's intentionally not as creepy. Like It's more it's not eerie as creepy. than anything. Haunting Hill House then, is a creepier story overall, especially yeah. how it deals with like suicide right off the bat with that one, I think. Right. And I, I, I mean, because dude, truthfully, I've, I you know, you guys know, I've seen every of his films, even leading up to that, and even, even Haunting Hill House, maybe jump a couple of times, but this one, yeah, it's, it's much more tame, I'd say. But that's also, I guess, uh, I haven't read the book, obviously, but it's, uh, the source material is a lot more tame too, I guess. So, yeah, I think that's kind of the appeal is that it was, it was much. There's some scary imagery, um, for sure, especially yeah. with, um, 
the au pair who's taking care of the family and like that it kind of becomes a little just yeah creepy, showing but, up and then yeah, yeah. any but of the like, mirror shots at first exactly and you don't know what's those are the happen. ones that's when i was like what the fuck <laughs> yeah but it's it, the story itself it's especially as you get closer to the end um your your feelings towards what you're expecting is going on to how it ends it, that's it, what it definitely heard. evolves which yeah, is really I've heard cool. after episode six it gets into that it's like you're used to something by then yeah. So I've tried to stay away from most reviews on it and such. So I want to like go fresh into it. Yeah. Uh, and then, I'll, like for instance, like I'll probably look back and try to find the ghost after the fact. I don't want to read into it f- ahead of time and spoil shit. But yeah, it's, it's I, I think what works know. though is that the lead is she's really. I think she's likable and she's yeah. relatable enough that you actually like feel. Yeah, I, too. I, it was kind of weird for me at first with her. I don't know. I didn't I didn't connect with her as much as you know when I was watching the Haunting of Hell House, but. Yeah, I, you kind of get settled in with her character. Yeah, the film. no, no, exactly. Going back to, to the ghost, yeah. James, uh, I, I th- there's some guides that go episode by episode, so you can kind of like scroll down and not go past a certain episode to kind of. Yeah, but knowing my dumbass, bro, I'm the type to fucking just keep going, and then I'm like, <laughs> yeah. fuck, I'm in episode six now. Fuck, <laughs> I mean, yeah, so that's why I'm like, I don't even risk it, bro. Yeah, yeah, true. Like I'll wait. That's the thing about these shows too that they've done so so good at, at making it ever so subtle that you it's kind of, it really is like a blink and you miss it kind of thing I, w- I would love to see a behind the scenes thing on even even on haunting a hill house because you know these sh- shows have never been released on physical disc or anything all right so there's no special features i'd love to know how it was like dude so like you just told a guy to stand back there while everybody acted and they're like hey there's gonna be a guy back here i mean just roll it like <laughs> are they you know what I mean? like just hey he's, we have a ghost kid underneath the table in the scene all his hand his hands are gonna be out but just act normal just pretend you don't see it i'd be like wait what the fuck that's gonna throw me off a little bit man so or stuff if you like had that. him there or without like, telling the actors that'd be that'd be even better. Oh, yeah, better. yeah i see but they wouldn't do the, the whole point is like no one is supposed to be able to see him <laughs> so there's, there's a just, there's a fucking tall ass dude just back there staring yeah uh, really hey, hard. walk in the frame of this guy and just pretend he's not there oh that's gonna be awfully hard he looks creepy as shit but okay <laughs> so what else have you been watching well, about? well on top of that um, i've watched the epic journey from the a plus film of uncut gems to the fu to hollywood of hubie halloween for adam sandler <laughs> which Holy is basically shit. his his movie of saying i'm gonna make the worst movie ever made uh, and put it on Netflix, which... No, he wasn't in The Grudge. What are you talking about? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. I mean, that's the thing, though. Hubie Halloween is supposed to be that his rebuttal film to Uncut Gems, but... I heard it ain't bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, my brother I mean, and my niece saw it. They said they liked it, I think. I, I've heard mixed I mean, reviews. He, I've heard some people I mean, it's Adam Sandler, like, say that movie is fucking trash. Is it, his, is it his best film ever? No. Is it his worst film ever, though? Definitely not. He's he's done some worse films. I mean, he he does the same tropes here. He plays this guy named Hubie, and he does a weird Adam Sandler kid voice, and he, you can't tell if he's a little, you know, touched or if he's just you know, just <laughs> awkward. Like, I don't, you don't really know what the deal is with the character, but he's special in some way. Um, I gotta he, watch this now. <laughs> yeah. He's always after the hot, prettiest girl he knows and tries to get with that oh, girl. Adam Sandler. Oh. Dude, it's the same formula for every fucking movie. Yeah. Bro. He's got all his friends there. You've got Kevin James. Uh, you've got, of course, Ro- Rob Schneider. He's even got uh, Steve Buscemi. he got Ben Stiller to do a scene. He's got Ray Liotta in the film. Uh, Shaq is in it at one point. Uh, he got everybody. Did he, all, did he get the dude the from Grandma's Boy again? 
No, he's not. I don't know if they're even friends anymore. Yeah. I never see him in any of films. Um, but you know, it, and, and they all kind of pick on him. He he has this thermos that can do basically anything. It's sometimes I gotta, I gotta it can, watch this soup. I gotta watch this, dude. Could, I might could, watch like, this use an umbrella out Fuck of it. Fly Manor, boys. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, crazy things. I Stop added recording. it to my queue. I ain't gonna lie. James and I, we're gonna go watch this right now, and then we're gonna come back, come back, and reconvene. It's it's this a it's hilarious. a wild film. It's lie. funny. <laughs> it's it's got the old tropes. So some of it's a bit like okay, little dated jokes that probably shouldn't be there. But at the same time, there are plenty of scenes where it's just kind of like slapstick and silly. And I I kind of enjoyed it. It was it was funny enough to to want to watch and not kind of like oh this is cringeworthy why are we watching this film kind of thing you know like mm-hmm. where you could get through it and be okay it's not like um, a jack and jill huh no not like a jack and jill okay. that that was that makes sense the the only thing i didn't like was uh the the love interest who's played by julie bowen who's in um uh, was such a uh, modern family um she she definitely is kind of the character that he he sets up to to think that everything that Hubie does is cool, like she just falls madly in love with him, which is kind of weird because she does like weird one-liners, like says, "How did you become so badass?" Or, you know, you're just the most wonderful person. It's just she just has weird weird one-liners that seems really ingenuous. Like it's obviously intentional that they wrote it that way, but also disingenuous that she would just say those things to this guy to build his self-esteem. I don't I don't know. But um, and they all did one of the funniest things, James, which I think you you think is funny, is that the whole town hates his character. So he'll go ride around in the street on his bike and people just start chucking things at him just because they hate him or and he gets easily scared. He loves Halloween, but he gets easily scared. So they play pranks on him all the time. And every time he'll do something like turn into a room, he'll just look. Stop ruining the movie, Nabil. Stop stop ruining it now. I think I think this will be done by next the next pod. Guaranteed. (laughs) Oh, man. Now I'm sorry. I mean, if you're if you if you're looking for something that's a bit more up uplifting you know little just not i'm assuming it's lighthearted right like yeah I mean, of course yeah. it's a lighthearted not it's it's a pg film um nothing yeah. really bad happens in it it's just some sort of comedy yeah um but we're definitely worth a watch especially uh with everything else that there's out there to watch it's it's nice to see something that's just silly it's just a silly film it's a silly goose time right silly yeah. goose time. Yeah. um and then finally i've been watching a show called uh, glow which has been on Netflix for a bit. It's on. It's it's finished out. I guess technically it's third season. It it was supposed to do four seasons and it was shooting its final, but then COVID happened and they decided to cancel it. Uh, so it's not actually going to end. It's it just kind of ends on a cliffhanger. That's kind of a shitty thing, by the way. It is. It's it's pretty. Fucking Netflix cancels fucking. They're like, well, sorry Especially guys. Especially because it's on its last season. Like, let it finish out at the very least. You know, if you're gonna. Unless they were it. like, nobody watched season three. We're good. Bye bye. Yeah, yeah. Well, just put I mean, it on it's high. Interesting it is, cast. At least. Yeah, it's got Alison Brie uh, is in there. Mark Maron is in there. The show is about a group of women who most of them are out of work actors and they're trying to become find something and they get into this casting call to become and do a show for female wrestling. The whole premise is that it's set in the 80s. It's around the time where WWF starts getting really big and they want to put on something that's similar to it but just with a bunch of women. So at first it just seems like they're trying to have female wrestlers and then to make it more interesting they punch up people's stereotypes <laughs> so like they have as an example an indian she's she looks brown so they make her lebanese and she's called the beirut bomber so they have oh, shit. Makes, uh, sense. makes sense okay yeah they have uh an african woman american woman uh they call her welfare queen 
because of Reaganomics. Uh, oh, they've okay. got the blonde bombshell. They call her uh, Lady Liberty or Liberty Bell, I should say, all American. You know, they got the the brunette is called uh, Zoya the Destroyer, I think it is. Which she's basically a Soviet Russian <laughs> lady. So, so you really ham up on the on the stereotypes aspect of it, and yeah. and you just kind of watch the characters grow, how they build this whole uh, visage of fake wrestling on TV, and. It's it's actually quite funny, you know. I watched through it and I, I didn't know if I was gonna like it. And as I go through it, it's the the comedy's good. The acting's really well done. You kind of care about what the characters are going through as they build through it. It starts off, and this is like in the first episode, so I don't I don't want to spoil too much. But the one of the big things is that the uh, Audrey um, Audrey Ree is playing, you know, the Russian lady, and she's also the best friend of the or Alison Brie. I'm sorry, is is playing the Russian lady, and she's the best friend of the main character who plays the American uh, Liberty Bell and they were best friends until Alison Brie slept with her husband and now they've got a uh, <laughs> conflict Ouch. throughout the whole series so it's awkward okay. obviously right. throughout the whole thing because they're both wrestling Spoilers. I'm in the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's like the whole context of their relationship throughout the entirety of the show at least for the first season the bill's like, so, so the cliffhanger is I'm just kidding. Yeah, and so here's how this ends here guys but it's just funny little dynamic because you're seeing obviously that they're trying to figure out how to work on this show but also they hate each other uh, kind of so they're trying to build that relationship and trying to make something grow out of that and you're you're just find it interesting that these people are working on like a low budget trying to make something big whatever they can and yet they're also just a bunch of girl, ladies like trying to have fun figure out this thing while also playing into the stereotypes and I think that just the writing is really well done. It, it is a very entertaining show. And it's very short. They're like 30-minute episodes um, with only like 10 episodes a season. So I think that it's also a very easily bingeable show that if you're looking for something that's out of the norm, that it would be quite quite a change of pace from maybe some of the other more serious, either dramas or uh, the, the more serious films that are out there just to see a little bit of a a more, I guess, dramedy-type series on Netflix. So uh, I think it's something that, especially you, Marco, I think you might actually enjoy seeing something like this because there's a lot of 80s nostalgia that's built into the show as well. Yeah, it's been recommended to me before, and I've it's on my queue. I've been meaning to start it, but I always end up re-watching something or checking out something else, but I definitely want to watch it. <laughs> James is like, don't look at me. <laughs> Okay, so we had a mix there of everything, a little bit of everything, too. So good mix of uh, shows and movies this time. Good job. Uh, let's get on to our uh, topic of the week. It's the topic of the week. So we went on Instagram and asked you guys to come up with topics or questions that you wanted us to discuss on the next podcast, and you guys came through. We had quite a few topics to pick from, and we'll probably come back to some of those in later episodes because we're always looking for topics of the week. And the one that we finally decided on is what movie would you like a remake of? Because, of course... What does Hollywood need more of right now than remakes? No, I'm just kidding. But they're all interesting question, ideas, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we are seeing a lot of remakes and reboots coming out. So 
be nice to kind of see what some of our top picks or what our number one pick would be. So that being said, we're each going to take a turn and just pick a movie or a couple movies that we would like to see a remake of. No rhyme or reason to this, so I'm just going to start with Annabelle. We just ended with you. We'll start with you. Uh, what's a movie <laughs> that you would like to see a remake of? I think that it's about time. Cool. That we did a so, James, what was yours? <laughs> no, um, I think it's actually about time that we did a remake of The Last Action Hero. It's bullshit. This is... <laughs> it's already perfect. It's already perfect. Why, they're all why perfect did, why did they're not. I guess that you were going to choose that one? Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an older film based on 93. So, you know, we're almost going on to as uh, 20 years i mean 17 so far so it's it's been qu- or 20 years she's almost 30 years um so it's been around it's been a long time since it's been out uh it starred arnold schwarzenegger big time action hero at the time um it's about the movies kid finds a magic ticket he's a big fan of the main character uh jack slater and falls into his world essentially and the it's a very interesting premise i think it's a very adaptable premise especially to today um you could i was thinking like of characters arnold schwarzenegger's character the rock great action hero right now perfect segue into it james shaking his head he doesn't like any of this <laughs> i was thinking of just of the kid. Who, who else is big i, guess, I mean the rock no i know i think that he he's the i mean is there a bigger action star than the rock right now I don't. I don't think this is a very popular opinion. I think that uh, a good. Uh, we should have put ground rules on this. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> films you can't touch. So, um, so you do. If the movie was already really good to begin this with. This movie deserves uh, uh, a remake, Nabil. Yeah. Well, I'm not. Like, I'm not. You I'm not did you not like the original? Just, is that why? I did like the original, but I think that it's time that it would. You know, of the films that are being remade, I think this would be a good and first of all, easily translatable, relatable film to make in modern times. I think that also you could just punch up some of that action. You can put in the more modern graphics, the more modern effects. It's and even like lean in a bit more to you know where whereas the original film was about an action hero who didn't know he was he was in a movie but still was able to play onto the character. This could actually be a lean on the other side and be like, oh, you know what is the point of my life what am i doing kind of lean into the other side of it it was like oh this whole thing is just a story um i also think that there's just a lot it's it's just something that should be redone every every so often one of those films that they always try to remake um every 20 or 30 years why not the action films are still great there's just a lot more to show on it and i think it's just a very fun film and yeah last just chiming in the bill i think because the movie was in a way at the time sort of self-aware of itself i i think movies like hobbs and shaw going on to your rock <laughs> pick for uh for the actor I think that because that movie is also self-aware of itself and because a lot of those types of movies are kind of popular right now, it, it kind of would make sense to do a film like that for Last Action Hero. So, yeah, I can yeah. see it. I think it's – I mean, you can have a good young star like uh, that, that kid from Stranger Things who plays uh, Lucas, Caleb McLaughlin. <laughs> I think he'd be a good you know transition to play as Danny. James doesn't like any of this. I can see his face. It's like, hey, let's just cast the kid that's in everything right now. I don't know if he's in everything. He's in a few things. But we're looking at the age group that would be a good actor. I think if it was something that was made now, those would be two good character references. You know, The Rock and Caleb, good dynamic with each other. Uh, and 
I I think that it's a film that a lot of people could enjoy now, and you wouldn't be too worried about ruining a franchise. It could still be something that's even carried on from what it was before, in a sense as well. All right. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't necessarily agree, but I can see it. Like I said, I can see it because of the types of movies that are being out right now and that are popular. So yeah, I can see it. Do we need it? I I, I don't. I, mean, I don't think we do, but. I would Hell, say probably, the only the I, saving grace interest. is, yeah, the saving grace thing? I'd say is that was uh, Arnold's first like bomb at the box office. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know that, but, but uh, did not do well financially. Yeah, so maybe this. Classic. I mean, that that's the only reason I would think like, hey, maybe like it'd come out better this time if you played it up and yeah, it obviously would be different because I mean it was it's going off of like the life in a movie and movies are a bit different from how the tropes were in the 80s i guess because those were it was very much focused on 80s muscle man police yeah. i mean muscle man and like cop buddy films is kind of what that one's based on you know so maybe they can do something like a superhero type or something and just pretend kick-ass didn't exist so i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> what about you james uh what's a movie that you'd like to see being remade i mean jim bill's just gonna judge the shit i mean at this point so um i'm just <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you did it, it was the hard for me mine, because so I, I kept thinking fair. of movies to remake, but <clears throat> if they were good already, I'm like, they don't need to be touched, really. Like, for instance, I was going to say Zorro, but then I just recently saw Mask of Zorro. I'm like, fuck, that movie's yeah. good, right? It's a great film. Yeah. So, And I know they've been talking about doing a remake of Zorro for a while, and it just hasn't gone through. So, I mean... No, I, I get it. We picked the hard topic. I know. Yeah, but it's like... <laughs> we're challenging ourselves. I mean, there's there's a there's a few, but it's like uh, I didn't want to keep going back to '80s tropes of like redoing like last not last action hero like Time Cop or some shit, but like it'd be cool to see something like that. But uh, Time Cop would be fucking amazing to see. Nowadays. But see, once again, that's like JCVD all over, bro. Like I just love that shit. So I'm like, no, yeah, we're good with the original. Film. Fuck it. And same with like my my actual. I had a choice between two movies. I'm gonna tell you what I really did. But I at first a strong contender was. Um, I actually wanted to do Street Fighter, so like an actual yeah. like good remake, like not like nice. a shitty one, but still cast Jean Claude Van Damme in the movie somehow. Just because not his style though. I mean, he could be. Have him be the dude that assembles you the son team. of a bitch. <laughs> he could be in Bison. Coming, they were coming. Tell in Bison, I'm coming. Do they To you, it was. <laughs> To me, it was just a Tuesday. I'm like, damn, what a lie. <laughs> oh, that movie's Raul so Julia, bad. It's bro. R.I.P. Um, but no, so I would love to see something like that, but I, I just basically what I came up with, even though I think the original movie is amazing, I try to go for a movie that was older than 40 years old because at that point I think you get a new blend of people in that could possibly see the movie in, in different eyes or didn't see it, especially for this movie. Sense. This is... 1979, I decided that uh, they should redo The Warriors. I've always been a big fan of ensemble films and big casts, and the fact that you can do how many goddamn people per, like, gang, and you could put yeah. people in it, and I it would like to see... It takes place in one night, which is cool. Yeah, I love yeah. the movie. You guys know I love that shit. I think yeah. it takes place in one night. It could either be... I don't think it could be an updated version, like, oh, the Warriors in 2020. Like, no, that don't work, really. Like, it would still have to take place in, like, the 70s, I think. That kind of feel for it, but a little less cheese like the original one had, but still that kind of gruff and roughness it has. Yeah, uh, leaving it see, in that area would make it more gritty. Yeah, I could see, like, Michael B. Jordan in a movie like this, um, and then just surround him with 
up and coming people, I think, is what would really make this kind of hit. Yeah. So basically, all the kids from Stranger Things, I guess, just throw them all in there. <laughs> Fuck it, right? <laughs> just got to bulk up a little bit. Uh, so Start yeah, I think something weights. like that would work. I think I, I like that even back then it was it was a movie that was trying to show you about violence, but it actually promoted more violence if anything. So there's a lot of yeah, controversy with it, but um, I think it'd be a fun remake in a way because you'd get the old school people like, oh, I remember the old one. Like, but it's it's been long enough for something like this. It's not like we're rebooting Spider-Man every three fucking years, you know? Right. So it's a movie franchise that I think has some legs to it. Has a lot of a pretty decent cult following to begin with already, and I think it would introduce a whole new plethora of kind of fans in a way so and then maybe they'd go back and watch the original but yeah that's my choice that's actually a pretty solid pick i like that one i'm a huge fan of the original too i saw it not too long ago also well okay it was like six years ago but still no actually a little longer than that but still that's fairly recent for me <laughs> i saw a decade ago but it's not a big deal <laughs> it's not that long ago guys so Wait, what? i think it was motherfucker 10 years ago that's that's but. a while people were born and died in that period but okay that's cool but yeah, I I I'm a huge fan of the movie. I like the cult following of it too and Yeah, same yeah, solid choice, man. Another yeah, movie I I've mean, seen I, so many times and a, a perfect soundtrack, so that's why I'm like hold I don't on, know. I think the Bill's trying to change his pick. I, God damn it. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I think that I think that it's the same point is that that film is also a, a classic and a cult classic, but I'm not opposed to to that either though. I think that it's especially for it's it'd be a good commentary even if it is set in, you know, the 70s time period. Uh, a good co- commentary on like uh, what's going on politically today and being able to see that expressed on, on screen with a lot of, uh, like you said, up and coming actors and just kind of showing that the, the trouble of violence of people on the streets, just it's, I just want to, to see be able to fight the baseball series. Okay, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's a, it's an interesting point to, to retell a story like that, you know, and, and to show that some, some violence, yeah, is and especially, uh, I mean, especially for a movie in 79, right? 78, 79 yeah. when it came out. I mean, it's it's kind of rough in some s- sections of it. Like I said, though, it has a perfect soundtrack, so it's almost like, I don't know what to <laughs> do, but yeah. such a good soundtrack. Right on. What about you, Marco? What's your choice for a movie that needs a remake or should get a remake? Uh, I had a choice of a few Sports Awakens, ones. nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd be The Rise of Skywalker, bro. I know, because Force Awakens <laughs> is already a remake of A New Hope. So what's up? Uh, funny, one of the topic questions that we got would have included a Star Wars movie if we would have done it. Well, that's it. funny, because we don't talk about Star Wars anymore on this podcast, everyone, so yeah, keep that dead. shit to yourself. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Oh, we don't talk game. about the Star Wars. TV show. We don't talk about the Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Star Wars here. No, I I thought about it, and actually, I lied. I just came up with it right before we recorded. It is the 1988 film Willow which is a dark fantasy drama directed by Ron Howard that starred uh, Val Kilmer and Wicket himself, Warwick Davis. And it, the, the movie is basically like a, yeah, like a, a fantasy movie with, with magic, with knights, medieval fighting, uh, witchcraft, magic. It's, it's a Dungeons & Dragons campaign very much. like Yeah, yeah almost. But I think yeah. with the popularity of The Witcher, with... Uh, a lot of like magic and fantasy still being relevant today. I mean, even Lord of the Rings is going to get a a, a live action TV show eventually. I guess I and also with the uh, recent ending of Game of Thrones, I think that it would be the perfect time to bring this back into live action and 
do a little bit better because the movie hasn't really aged too well, at least from what I recall. It's it's a little campy and and cheesy, yeah. and some of the graphics and I got I gotta say though, what would I think it'd be too hard for a movie like this to come out because there's too many sh- like you just mentioned, there's too many shows like it already, man. Kind of, especially with The Witcher kind of killing it right now, and I mean, Game of Thrones coming out of the prequel and all that bullshit, whatever. Very true, but so it's I, like, I think also what, what's else... gonna ch- make it like stand out ahead of those, basically, as opposed to what's currently out. I guess you, I guess it would have to be like a really big main star. I guess. Yeah, I yeah, I, I was yeah, thinking maybe someone like uh, Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> I thought Nabil was like The Rock, right? Just put the <laughs> yeah, Rock. The in rock. <laughs> he can be Willow. I don't think you get the point of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh maybe someone like Chris Hemsworth, uh some big action star like that in order to fill the shoes of the great Val Kilmer. I think something like that would draw like an audience. And yeah, although there's a bit of oversaturation with the the fantasy genre, I think that also helps yeah. with its popularity. And because it's an obscure movie from the 80s, I think that the cult following of the movie would actually help with making it popular again as well. Plus I get, the movie yeah. If if you don't make it as serious as well too, and, and go, going along with the all with the whole self awareness to it, I think would definitely help the movie too, because I think the original film takes itself a little too serious, and that adds to the like making it a little cringeworthy at times. Don't get me wrong, I love the original and I would watch it in a heartbeat, but I'm I'm also aware of the fact that for some people who have never heard of it or who would probably watch it for the first time nowadays, they'd be like, "What the fuck am I watching? This is so shitty." So it has a lot of nostalgia factor to it, which I mean, is why I think Plus, a remake right? being a little more All right. kind of self-aware of itself would, would kind of work more with this type yeah. of genre. Plus plus nothing like, like that has been done with that type of genre. Like nothing sort of like in, you know, like a comedy action for that genre hasn't been done. And I think it could be done well if done right. Uh, I it, mean, it, kind yeah. of. The Witcher kind of is like that totally. i haven't seen the show so i can't speak to it oh so that, that. Uh, okay okay i was yeah. like well, i was laughing my ass off during the witcher dude yeah i haven't seen it i th- yeah dude I've stop everything to you're to doing it, and every, watch the every time i'm about witcher. to watch that fucking show <laughs> like someone's like talking about it or saying it and i want to go in fully blind going so to your witcher. yeah <laughs> that's actually something i was almost going to start this weekend but we'll see do it marco do it <laughs> do but it. yeah i was you know kind of looking for something like a hidden gem that's kind of obscure that's not too well known that's cool though and, that's and plus it's a Lucasfilm um one of one of the movies he produced too so that's kind of cool like yeah so exactly plus uh maybe they lean on that that'd be cool what if George yeah. Lucas came back and he's like fuck it I'll direct it <laughs> that's how you can get somebody shitty. to watch it like dude it's his fucking first one and like or fuck, fuck Ron Howard's still alive he does the remake it's exactly yeah. the same no, an honorable mention though, I guess, would be an old, obscure, also '80s movie, uh, a horror movie called *The Gate*, which was super scary for me as a kid. And basically, it's about like these two kids that are left alone with a babysitter when their parents go out of town, and there's this hole that's being dug in their backyard, and it eventually opens up and it leads to like a gateway to like hell or something or to evil. And nice. yeah, there's a lot nice. of shit like that that has come out over the last few years. But I think the gate does it so well because it's just these kids and their babysitter that are stuck in this house trying to defend it from these like evil demons and minions coming out of this hole. 
and it's 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 super freaky because back then with like the um there was no cgi so they used like stop motion and like uh like little clay models in order to make these things come out so we like, can just cast the stranger kids things in this one too right <laughs> hey basically because this is basically the stranger things Nice. Basically, almost. It actually, this, uh, Stranger Things kind of almost reminds me of that. That's also why it's just Nothing's an honorable mention. Because anymore, the more I that... thought about it, <laughs> the more it reminded me That's... of Stranger Things. And I was like, oh, man. Probably, yeah. Stranger the fact Things. that you're mentioning I'm like, yeah, I know a couple kids got left alone, too. <sighs> yeah. And but um, the demigarkin. It, it, yeah. It, it's a lot more violent than Stranger Things, though. Like At one point, like one of the kids, like his hand starts to be like obsessed. Like, not obsessed. Possessed. And the only way to, like stop it as he stabs himself with a piece of glass and it's just evil dead boring. huh nice yeah huh? god yeah I mean, god we can we can kevin bacon the shit out of all this too man yeah <laughs> kevin bacon. i mean <laughs> i've never seen that one though marco what the gate I check yeah i, I mean, mean is it, that streaming it used anywhere? to scare me as a kid but now it's it's, it's probably, probably cheesy super cheesy now, it's, yeah it's cheesy as fuck now but uh yeah just a little honorable might to, mention might have to check that out though i mean i like that you went obscure though it's just I I feel like there's too much of this shit with the uh, stuff. But if Willow casts correctly, I don't even think Prince Hemsworth would be a good choice though. It's like no, hey, he's just the, the first. You want to play the you want to play the Huntsman head. the Huntsman again, Chris Hemsworth? So it's like it'd be cool to get someone That's right. like him though. Too. Yeah, it'd be cool to get someone like him, kind of gruff like that. Because I mean, that's basically who Val Kilmer's character is in that. Yeah. Exactly. He's like, I'm the rough guy, and I'm like, it, as long as they keep the a scene where they're sledding on the shield, um, I'll watch it, bro. Basically, <laughs> going down the mountain. Oh, they did it instead of James Bond. Why not? Yeah, he did the same, <laughs> same shot in Willow, Jesus. bro. That's where he got it from. <laughs> Timothy Dalton's like, wait, that came out before. It wouldn't even have been possible. But I mean, around the same time. But so yeah, that's uh, that's our topic of the week. Again, we want to thank you guys for participating and definitely giving us thank these. You ideas we really appreciate it keep them coming i know we didn't pick all of them this time we just went with one topic and one of your questions but all the others don't worry we'll look at them and we'll probably mention them and use them as a topic of the week like i said in later episodes so yeah we really appreciate it yeah definitely uh, marco we had a th- solid three and all three of them would have worked to it, but i felt like this would be the most interesting I'm not trying to be negative about it. I just wanted to keep the discussion going, obviously. So, I mean, no, good absolutely. choices from everyone. And Dead Bills was terrible, though. So, uh, let's move on <laughs> now to our main review of 1978's The Deer Hunter. One shot is what it's all about. Deer has to be taken with one shot. I don't think about one shot anymore. Games. All right, I'll play him games. Ow! Ow! Guys, so the Deer Hunter released in 1978. It is uh, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
Uh, the IMDb description is an in-depth examination of the ways in which the U.S. Vietnam War impacts and disrupts the lives of people in a small industrial town in Pennsylvania. This is directed by Mark Cimino. He, I mean, truthfully, I don't know if you guys know too much about Mar- uh, Michael Cimino, but um, this is his only good movie. All his other ones are for tanks. Like for Heaven's Gate okay. is, okay. Heaven's yeah. Gate is arguably lauded as like one of the biggest bomb boss uh, box office busts like ever. They say so, single-handedly killed United Artists. United Artists, yeah. So, but that came a, out. It's actually not a bad film, I think, so, in my opinion. But really, uh, yeah. Year of the Dragon came out in 1985 as well. Also, he, a good film. I think. He went with a Mickey Rourke kind of thing with that, and another one in the 90s. So, film noir film. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what he's going for. I never seen so, any of those. Uh, you're okay, not. <laughs> I'm just Heaven's Don't Gate, I'd say, list. is worth a watch. I, I mean, you got three hours to kill. I mean, we watched the Deer Hunter, so yes. I think yeah, my neighbor's dog two, wants to watch there's it. There's two big differences between <laughs> Heaven's Gate and the Deer Hunter. One is set in the West. The other one. <laughs> one of them won the East. three Academy Awards. The other one got Razzies. I'm just kidding. All right, so this stars Robert De Niro as Michael, John Savage as Steven, Christopher Walken as Nick, John Cazale in his uh, last role, actually, as Stan, and Meryl Streep as Linda. And I'm sorry, and Ritania Alda as Angela. Because John Cazale found out right before this movie that he was dying from lung cancer. And uh, that's actually the only reason, just some trivia, that Meryl Streep stayed on the movie and took a smaller role because she was dating him at the time. So. Yeah, they almost took him out of the film, and she threatened to quit. Yeah, she threatened to quit. So a funny fact or cool fact about John Cazale as well is that uh, every movie he was in was nominated for Best Picture that he ever did so or nominated for Academy Awards. So he was in two of the two Godfather films, The Conversation, another Coppola film, uh, The Deer Hunter, and then uh, Dog Day Afternoon with um, Pacino. So. I, I forget that he passed away, man. Like, every time I'm like, oh, that's right. Yeah, you can actually mm. tell in this movie that he looks kind of sick near the end. They did all his scenes first. Yeah. But he was getting really bad. He never got to see the completed movie either because he passed away. Right oh, before. really? That yeah, he know. never actually got to see it. Uh, So, guys, let's start with Nabil because I know the answer to this already. Have you already – had you seen – by the way, I guess you guys are wondering why we did The Deer Hunter. And there's really no reason why. We just, I, I literally had a list of movies. I've, I've wanted, I've never watched The Deer Hunter fully all the way through. It's a, it's quite a long film. It's three hours and three minutes long, I believe. It's not for faint of heart if you're looking for a quick, a quick one in, in and out. So it's one of those no. builds up for it. But um, a lot of heavy themes. I brought too. it up. <laughs> yeah, and I know, it was kind of one of those things like we've always wanted. I think this at this point is this one of the oldest films we've done. Possibly, even Maybe. the throwbacks we've done have all been from the eighties. I don't think we've done anything from seventy eight. So. I mean, except for the James Bond movies, yeah. True. Outside of uh, outside of yeah. James Bond, because obviously that's. But I mean, as a singular episode, this is probably the oldest that we've done as a single episode. So, Nabil, sorry. Uh, I understand you have seen this before, right? Oh yeah, I've seen it. Maybe I think maybe once, maybe maybe twice before this time. It's been mm-hmm. a while um, since I've seen it though, uh, but. Yeah, it's 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 a good story. Not a not an easy watch. I watched it. I think the first time I was probably like early, like probably early teens, maybe twelve. Oh yeah, I was way too young. First time I saw part of this movie, yeah, I was like, whoa. Yeah, it was definitely one of those films where you. Bill, I thought you were talking about seeing it in theaters as a little kid. I was about to call you a goddamn liar. 
78, bro? This was barely released <laughs> in theaters. This movie. It's for the people that start going down a De Niro kick and saying, oh, look at all these films he's done. It's like, what is this movie? It's like, oh. No, yeah. Nabil was like, I've played the Deer Hunter on PC. This must be very Good similar, game. right? Good game. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I, I had seen this film a couple times before, and I can tell you that watching it in uh, HD, I didn't get a chance to see it in 4K, but um, I did get to see it in it's HD. It's kind of hard to see in it, 4K, to tell the truth. So. Yeah, is it? It's... Yeah. It's very well remastered. Watching it on streaming like that, I, I definitely the best you could I've ever seen this film. It's it's pretty flawless. So uh, nice, yeah, great film. Uh, what about you, uh, Marco? I understand you've never seen the film, but you've heard of it, right? That is right. I've been meaning to watch it for the longest time, and I'm glad I saved it for the pod. It's been recommended to me a couple times, also, and uh, I didn't know that it was three hours long, so. That was quite a surprise for me, but yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad we did it for the pod. It's one that I definitely want to knock off my list too, and now we're finally able to do it. Nice. Uh, yeah, like I said, um, I'd seen like the second half of the movie like a couple times. Like I caught it on um, like one of the movie channels or something back in the day, and I remember. I've seen it all the way through from a certain point, from like the torture scene. By the way, guys. Uh, I guess we should just say spoiler overall. I mean, the movie's 42 years old, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we should right? go for so, spoiler. So, I mean, hey, it's pretty much spoilers. We're just going to talk freely. I mean, if you haven't seen it by now, like, go and see it. It's, Watch it. I, I'm pretty sure all three of us enjoyed some aspect of the movie. So, And we're going to probably jump into a lot of, like, because I, I feel like this movie is kind of like three acts overall. Plus, we know some of you don't care about yeah. the spoilers and will watch it anyway. So Yeah, so I'm just going to let you know, like, overall, spoiler, like, chill okay <laughs> it's not based on actual deer hunting just to let you guys know so i mean they do some to deer a point, hunting it uh there there is a little bit of deer hunting but it's also it's more of a character thing but uh so yeah i'm going to jump right into it guys i had only seen parts of it, like i said i was able to i thought i had it in 4k and then i realized that digital wise it's not available it's very i think i talked to Nabil. there's a few movies yep. that have been released recently where they just will not release it on digital 4K, which is fine. I get it. Like, uh, they do a good job of these special edition uh, physical discs and all that stuff. Just like I when I talked about Flash Gordon last time, for instance, that movie is not uh, in 4K digitally. It's only 4K on the disc, which is, I mean, it, it looks better anyways. It's uncompressed audio, all this good stuff. So nah, That's one I, I'd like to see be remade with uh, actually, Sam Darnold. Actually, that would have been a good pick, actually. <laughs> That would actually, truthfully, that would have probably been a good pick. Uh, that soundtrack cannot be beaten. Sam oh, Donald, quarterback, New York Jets, New York Jets. See, Lego man. Sorry. <laughs> God, we're doing a disservice to the Deer Hunter. Okay, yeah. so back to the Deer Hunter. I picked it up, actually. I went and bought it, actually, on a 4K disc. So I got to see it in 4K, the remaster on it. And it actually is uh, has the HDR Dolby Vision uh, setup on it. And like Nabil said... Even in HD, this is the best this movie has ever looked. Oh, my God. Like, the detail just overall. But I'll say just the movie, outside even that, I absolutely love this movie. I think this is a... It's in the reins of, like, like a Godfather tier movie to me, I'd say. Especially with De Niro's performance in this one. It's... Yeah. It's... This is, like, cinema at its, per, like, perfection. So that's why it's... Hard to believe that Michael Cimino never made a good movie after that, but I mean, according to Bill, maybe. But it's a movie that just works. I love the story. I like 
that everybody is very believable as friends. That's something that I think in 1978 was not as easy to portray on screen without feeling like people were acting. And I, I guess it helps too. Like for instance, Axel, the guy that played Axel is not an actor that he was really a steel worker. And yeah. like, that's okay. his only role. Like he never did another movie. Like cause Robert De Niro met him when he was like uh, researching steel working. And he was like, Hey, this guy's fucking cool. Like let's throw him in the, and he's like pro- prominently in the fucking movie. Like, Oh my God, dude. Uh, he's a guy gets stuck in the bowling pins like a fucking yep. idiot, though, <laughs> and it's um, it's like it, it's a, it's obviously it's a slow buildup for the most part in the movie. Like, I, I like I said, I think it's three acts. Like the wedding is the first act, the second act is the war and torture, and the third act is uh, the aftermath and going back to Vietnam. And it truthfully, it's not really about Vietnam, but it's more about like what happens to Mike, Steve, and Nick, yeah. and how their friendship about- is tested in a way. Because yeah, of really the actions that happens. Oh, yeah. And you see how people change. Like, for instance, I, I really liked Robert De Niro as Michael in this one. I think early on, it's kind of foreshadowing that he is kind of going to be the guy that makes it through everything. Especially when he goes... Like, Stan stays back, right? Because of some fucking issue or some shit. Or I don't know. I don't. Truthfully, they never bring it up. The other dude has bad knees He's or some shit. He's got bone spurs, guys. That's oh, is that cool. what it was? Was it no, both first? He's got bad knees. He said he had Oh, bad was he the one with bad knees? So anyways, but he, yeah. like Stan is like not prepped to survive in this world kind of feel. And like like yeah. he doesn't bring his boots and like Michael like gets offended by that. Like, dude, every fucking time we're out here, like it's something, right? And I, yeah, never I, I don't know why, but dude, I've had conversations with people like that too. So I'm like, I know where he's coming from. So it's like he's the most prepped and that's why Michael becomes like a Green Beret. And then, you know, Steven and Nick become, they're not Green Berets like him, but it's obviously like, Michael has a one-shot kill ratio thing he does with a fucking deer for fuck's sake, and it's like, it's it's ugh, fucking movie is beautiful, man. Like it's so fucking set up, and it's just like little things, like Nick's gambling in the beginning, right? And it shows you like when he's betting on like the game and shit that hey, he's gonna be the one that's it's foreshadowing, like he's he's gonna be the one that gets caught up in all this shit near the end, right? Yeah. And then Steven, like, you, Steven out of the three is the one you know least about, but fuck, he marries Angela after finding out, like, he never even had sex with Angela, and that's not his kid. But Steven's yeah. a good guy deep down inside, and he's, like, he feels he's the most regretful out of everyone because he feels like he's, like, a nuisance to everyone at the end because of his handicap. And I thought, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't praise this movie enough. This is probably one of the best movies I've ever seen. So... I'll get yeah. in more into it, obviously, but I mean that's rather bad. And I will mention Meryl Streep as Linda too. It's like perfect. Like this is one of her first big roles, and she, you feel for her character. She comes from such a shitty life, and she's caught up between Nick and Michael. And Michael obviously loves Linda like to the max, and it's just like yeah. he can't express it. And it's just yeah. one of those things like because of the war, and I can only imagine what people had to go through and coming back to this shit and how life has changed and now Michael just everyone's changed for the most part, but you see it. We see it mostly through Michael's eyes. Cause we see him coming back and it's just like, life's not the same anymore. And people can't relate to him anymore. Like Stan and Axel, they bring up things and he's just like, I don't want to talk about shit like that. You know, it's like, it's, it's yeah, he's like a completely shit, so. different person. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with what you said. I, uh, it's a yay for me. I, I didn't know what to expect this movie. Like, like I mentioned earlier, I'd never seen it before, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, a lot of what you said is like 
what I agree with, James. Uh, It's a snapshot in the life of this group of people, which is what I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. It, it, It has to do a lot with, like you said, how these events, the events of the war, how it affected these people, both mentally, physically, in all aspects of their life. And I like how Steven... I'm um, sorry, Michael, Robert De Niro's character is a total different character at from beginning to end. He, I, even though he's more like, like you said, prepared and someone who actually is got their shit together, he's also very much like uh, a wreck too. Like he's a drunk. He he's uh, you know sort of like a like aloof and stuff. And when he goes to war and comes back, he's completely like different. Like he barely has yeah. any drinks when he comes back. He has more discipline. He's not acting out as he was before, uh, prior to going to war, and he's completely changed. And like you said, like all the things that his like old friends bring up back home, he's disassociated from that. He's he's that's no longer part of his life because of who he has become and what the war has changed him into. And I really like that aspect too. It 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 shows both like how it affects you mentally with michael and also even with nick because like he's nick is completely screwed and that's why you know he stayed back there and decided to just be a professional russian roulette player i guess <laughs> yeah yeah he's, he's just like... the, the war just really cracked him mentally and then uh you have steven who was affected physically as well too and i, I liked how it yeah. touched upon all those aspects of how like not just the vietnam war but war in general how like it affects you and how it, it can interrupt and disrupt your life uh, when you're trying to go from point A to point B. Um, beautifully shot too. There's a lot of really good uh, cinematography, especially like around like Pennsylvania when they're um, getting you know out of work and stuff like that. It really does a good oh, job. Oh yeah, I love that. Making you feel immersed into this town and and seeing how what a close knit group of people was, they are. Was the car What's just the- that was wild as fuck trying to race a truck right? Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. It was pretty Bro, scary. I was like, what the be okay. fuck? I'm like, Cadillac. damn, this is a bill all over here, bro. Just driving hella wild, bro. Like, right? Beat these guys. I'm like, hey, we can just slow down. I don't want to die. But see, it's it's stuff like that where it shows, like, Michael even, even like, being such a wreck like that at the beginning and then after going through all he did, everything in, in Vietnam, being a POW, trying to, like, escape and, and trying to stay alive and coming back home and he's... He's no longer that guy anymore. Uh, I love how uh, at the beginning when they were hunting for the deer, he was, you know, willing to go ahead and, and shoot the deer and kill it and keep it as a surprise and put it on top of his car. And how war has affected him when he comes back and he doesn't he doesn't feel the same. He lets the deer live. And I, I like that change in him and in his character and how he's seen like so much violence and so much innocence taken away that he doesn't have it in him to do that anymore because he respects life that much more yeah and that's why he also when stan is waving his pistol around he he kind of i mean stan's kind of asking for it the whole movie right i'd say yeah he's he's kind of that guy that doesn't you know he doesn't quite grasp the like seriousness of everything i'd say he also acts tougher than he really is oh yeah stan's stan's a wuss i mean it's kind of funny because john cazale's character in every movie he's ever played is kind of like that so well, he's always saying, like, it's for protection cast. or just in case and just in case. And Yeah, Michael's then he's like, waving at Axel, from what? and then yeah. Michael rolls up. And, I mean, that's crazy because the behind the scenes, there was an actual real bullet in that gun every scene. Like, when they did the uh, the scene where he puts the gun to his head, like, there was a real bullet in there. Like, Robert De Niro wanted to put an actual 
uh, round in there just to add to the tension. And Jesus. like John Cazale was like okay with it, but he'd always check right before, like because you know don't want to blow your fucking brains out. I know yeah, he was exactly. dying already, but he was like not trying to punch my ticket this early. So uh, that's just like adds to the fucking like lore of this movie. So it's like holy fuck. And that I like that scene because he's just like it just shows like because even coming back it's just awkward, you know? Yeah. Between the three guys because like some shit went down and he's. Like what a weird drive back after that probably right so exactly yeah. uh, man yeah. when uh, when Michael's trying to save Nick when he goes back to Vietnam and he's he's you yeah. know looking for hold, him hold that thought though hold that thought though yeah thought. I just want to say that that yeah. was just such a really great like, scene, powerful yeah. moment great great mo- great moment yeah. um I w- I was like holy shit like yeah because like fuck I would do that for you I would go fucking search for you guys like that man straight up. Oh like, yeah, fuck. no hesitation, man. Look at you. So I mean, I don't uh, want to take away from Nabu, but it's it's because no matter what, even though Michael's a rough around the edge in the beginning to the end, like he always he had promised Nick too he would never leave him behind. So yeah, Michael is definitely the guardian of everyone, and it yeah. and it, it's kind of on his shoulders. Like he feels responsible, and but like you said, even when he comes back, not only that, it's like he's ashamed of everything he's done because when he comes back, everyone's trying to throw him a party. He's like. He just dodges it. He's like, I don't want to go back to that. Like, no. And like Linda, for instance, kind of understands it to a point, but she understands that there's there's a lot going on in his head too. But uh, Nabil, sorry, we've been talking about this a bunch. I want, I want to get your opinion thought, first before we jump into anything. Last too. thought, just chiming on to the Meryl Streep thing. I I really enjoyed her performance as Linda as well too. I think the last Meryl Streep movie I saw was The Post, and it was just fucking horrible. And it was great to kind of see. Her in something like well, amazing I, this time around. The post wasn't horrible. The post was just boring yeah, as fuck. Remember yeah, that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like Remember it. Remember we saw that? We reviewed that fucking again, movie. But, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've already yeah, forgotten. It's about newspapers or something. But uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed her performance as Linda. Um, she had, man, she had gone through a rough life and just like survived. And I think that's one of the connections between her and Michael is that they were both survivors and I, I mean it's a subtle connection but you see that she was going through struggle struggles in her life and in a way went through her quote-unquote war with her abusive father and i kind of liked how her and michael yeah like kind of connected towards the end but yeah that's my Definitely. thoughts on that you know so so just listening to letting you guys kind of talk about the film a little bit you can if you're listening in and what you guys are saying it's really showing that there wasn't that much uh, story, you know. Like you said, there are certain acts, James, but you guys got so much out of the characters for just their interactions from the first act, from the marriage, and how close they were together. Michael didn't really talk much, you know. He's he's very he's much very a stoic himself, guy. Yeah, yeah, he's very. But and yet we've got so much out of the character. When they went to the war, you could see how each character reacted to the situation they were. Of course, they were in like the toughest situation, but the the traits that they were showing during mm-hmm. the first act of just getting married to uh, where they were in the war and how Michael really had to, to just step up and find a way take the risk because he was willing to take the risk um, where you would have thought that Nick's character might have been the person who wanted to done it, you know, to try to help the team. Michael's the one who really stepped into that. And then where it goes into the end and you see how 
everybody's dynamic has changed and naturally from a war you know coming back from but also just seeing how people have been living their lives that didn't go to war and how they stayed the same i think the whole thing you know one of the iconic scenes and i don't want to talk about the scene specifically but just the whole premise of it is is the russian roulette scenes that they show in the film um that's one of the ones that i had always just remembered about the film and i think a lot of people who've seen this movie would remember um but it also is a metaphor for like what the war was about on how it really was a toss-up of what would happen when you came up. You could come back, you know, maimed as, you know, uh, uh, what's his name was? Uh, Steve. Steven. Yeah. You would come back as, you know, with PTSD and really just distraught like Nick. Or you could, n- nothing could have happened to you and you just seemed normal like Michael. Like nothing happened. It's, it's, a, it's a toss-up. And so... That, I think, is is one of the bigger metaphors, too, from just that whole Russian roulette thing and showing that it could be anything, uh, and you don't know what that outcome is. You could be fortunate, you could not, you could have survived, you could have not. And coming back to life and just trying to be normal is not something you can do either. Like, you've seen some shit, you've been through a lot, yeah. and then to try to go back to your life is not something that, that can just be r- something you can just fold right back into. So, you know, the whole the whole premise of the characters and showing them grow together and then them falling apart, uh, that bond was still there. You know, they, they all were different, but especially where they had to come together at the end with Nick, you could see that they still had that kind of bond. They still were able to connect with each other. Uh, it, it just was, there was growth. And that's kind of what I saw from the beginning where they were kind of all a bit immature still. They were young, they were free, they were doing yeah. whatever, living their life. And then life essentially happened. They came back and some of them were still trying to act like a bit of fools. But at a, at a certain point, especially like I said at the end, things kind of just connected and they were they had to grow up. Grow up. And I think that scene with Michael and uh, Stan in the woods where Mike snapped on him, you know, with taking the gun and then shooting it up to see that it really was loaded. Like yeah. that also changed their whole persona of being immature to being like really serious saying, okay, you know what? Maybe it's not something that we need to do anything. It, it really like snapped some of the people back from being, you know, acting like they're not their kids when they're not anymore. They're, they're adults with, you know, with real lives and there's real consequences, especially, oh, yeah. you know, with what he, the Mike, Steve and Nick's gone through, but also for, for Stan to realize that, he cannot just keep acting like he's tough or something like it's there's some real consequences especially when he's putting the gun to his friend's face as if it was going to be fine like nothing you know and per- oh like God, he was going to so, no, so gun. 1970s right i know right <laughs> so there ain't no lies here motherfucker <laughs> um yeah no i totally agree man it's it's, it's it, it does a good job of making it so um i do want to get into a few things here I know this this is gonna be a bit of a longer review, I guess, but there's a lot to talk about in this movie to a point. But I would say like a couple things that I, I wish they would have done a little differently on it, just because like as an afterthought, I guess. I guess the age of the characters has always been scrutinized in this movie. Like they're a little bit too old in the beginning, and I don't think they do a good yeah. job of showing you that years have passed. I don't think they ever really even tell you like year wise how long it's been. Like, for instance, the, the movie takes place in, like, 67, 68, and then, like, 75 out of nowhere. Like, there's a time jump of, like, seven years that a big gap. doesn't yeah. make it very obvious, truthfully. Yeah, no, because well. when they come back, it doesn't yeah. seem like it's been that long, like, maybe a year or two. Yeah, it's been a while, apparently. So, it's like, shit, dude. Like, how long has he been back? I, I wish they had done that a little bit better on that one. Uh, 
I forgot to mention too. I like the soundtrack to this one. That guitar fucking solo they do in there, yeah. the little strumming. It's pretty good. Fuck, it's good, man. It reminds, it's so Godfather like to me, man. I don't know why. I, I like. There's got to be like somebody on there must have worked in this fucking movie too. The score and, was really well done. It it fit it fit the tone and the themes of the movie yeah. very well. It's just like chill, like oh, I get it. Like damn, it's like a it's like a somber tone and his shit. Like yeah. unfortunately, they're all like Steeler fans and bullshit, so they go burn in hell. But you know, for the most part, not bad, right? <laughs> uh, I will say too, the wedding scene goes on way too long, but I get it why it does it. It's a build up to kind of show you the characters, and it kind of abruptly ends when they meet the Green Beret guy at the end and all that shit. But I don't know if you guys remember the '80s or '90s too well, but. Doesn't that so like wedding scream of like those old? I don't know. This is so random. Like those old buildings with like brown <laughs> fucking flooring. You know what I'm talking about? That like in the well, early yeah, 90s a, you still could run yeah. into and you're like, God damn, this it's place is old as fuck. Center, so it I'm is sure. such. Yeah, exactly. But it, it's I, I love the feel of that whole place, man. I just was like, man, I really like the feel of this. And even the church. It was kind of like, cool how it was a hybrid bar and community center sequence. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. It's just like oh, this bar too. People can still come here and get drinks during your fucking wedding and stuff. And it it kind of sh- shows each character one by one, like doing their thing and showing like th- that's how you kind of get to know the characters during those sequences, even leading up to it. Like before they go to the bar, get some drinks beforehand, and they're gonna get uh, Steve's gonna get married, and then like stuff near the end, people start kind of getting kind of horsing around. And then you find out more about Steven and Angela's situation, and it's like holy shit! Like there's like a bigger deal to going all back that, to. And, um, Going back to them seeing the Green Beret and them trying to have a conversation with the guy, and he's just there, kind of spaced out. He's very in his much own like thoughts. foreshadowing, like how Michael becomes it, like, exactly, right? and they they just don't and Michael's understand, the don't one that's it. like offended by him because he's like, mm. yeah, he's like fuck you, can't say. They're shit just to like me. fuck this like, guy because he doesn't understand, off, right? Exactly, and then coming yeah. at the end, like you said, he's that guy, and he has a full he's understanding. He's the quiet of what guy that that's to himself, and like oh fuck, yep. like. And it, He's the, not the yeah, wild dude it, getting naked and streaking down the street back to the fucking ex- parking lot. Exactly. Yeah. Total role reversal. Everyone's trying to talk to him and get him to talk, and he's the one that just doesn't, that's pretty much saying, you know, fuck it. You know? Not, yeah, he's definitely. not necessarily saying those words, but he's he's basically, like, shooing him off, like you said, saying, I don't want to talk about that, you know? There's even, like, the whole sequence even when, like, Mike, Steve, and Nick are getting in the car, and, like, Steven is super drunk, and he's telling Nick, like, I never slept with Angela, and Nick's very like far off looking. He's it's a hint that Nick is actually the real father. And uh, director Michael Cimino actually even said in an interview after the fact, he's like, "Yeah, Nick's uh, Angela's baby daddy." So I was like, "Oh shit!" So add that to like the drama of these friends, but like, yeah, you know, she's been around a bit, you know. But um, yeah, the whole I I still think it, it's like I said, it's, it's an axe to me. Like the thing it goes. It's like fifty-one minutes long, right? Like it's fucking long. Yeah, it's 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 fucking long. <laughs> it's really long, but it's one of those things. Like, I understand why it is, and it and like you said, Nabil, it probably adds to the kind of com- camaraderie between the guys and like the believability between all of them. So it's like, okay, these are friends. Like I, I thought they. I was like, it seems like these guys generally were friends. Like, and I think that that added to it. So I, I really enjoyed those sequences. But like I said, I wish they had kind of ex- explained the time jumps a little more because. I remember when I even first saw this, I didn't realize that. I was like, have they been there like a year? You know, I didn't I didn't realize it. I'm like, oh, shit. They've been like a while because like Nick's 
or Michael's been gone so fucking long, he grew a fucking beard back. Like, okay. <laughs> no, I had to rewind it a few times because of that. I was like, wait a minute, did time go by or some shit? Wait, like why is Michael at the fucking restaurant? It's already a three-hour right? long movie. It took me so three and a half hours. A so I had to realize that yeah. there's the fucking time jump and yeah, yeah, a little title card here and there could have worked like five years yeah. later, ten years later, or or just show the years and that would have helped. It's back in ninety seventy eight, bro. But they're like, figured fucking out, bro. Uh, yeah, I do want to talk about the, the last scene too, though. Um, before, not quite the last scene, but the scene with the Russian roulette where Mike and Nick, the final one, I guess reunite. Yeah, and they're having the conversation, and I think that's one of the best scenes is where they're he's just trying to snap him out of it because Nick has become a heroin addict at this point, and he's super out of it, and he's just I I don't know how you I don't know how you survive a game like this for so many fucking years. So long. Like dude, years, that's like insane. you didn't kill yourself once. Like, damn, dude. So, and you don't get a lot out of it up until the last moment when Nick finally re- mentions the one-shot kill about the deer. But by then, it's almost like too late, you know. Yeah. And I think uh, De Niro's acting at that point where he's crying and cradling Nick's head in his arms and stuff is is perfect. So, uh, he said that was one of the toughest scenes for him to film. Like he even like oh, talking about it break broke down talking about it because he was really fully like immersed into that scene oh yeah so, I, you can yeah. see it man he's just like balling bro he's dude that was cool. that was rough man i was like oh yeah. shit he was so close to just like saving his friend saving his friend back, he but, went all the way back uh, yeah had to pay but he was he was gone his mind was just gone he was no longer that same person yeah i don't anymore. know if he would have been normal even coming back he would have been it would have been rough for him man. yeah it is nice to see Steven on the last scene, though, at the funeral. He shows up with uh, yeah. Angela. Yeah, he has, so uh, has like, a drink with them. There you go. Yeah, it's a nice little, like, okay, at least they got that going again. But then seeing the bar owner guy in the back just crying, it's like, oh, fuck, this is rough. Yeah. Too many of these fucking funerals, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, anything else, guys? Any closing thoughts on this, Nabil? No, just, you know, again, you, you touched on it a little bit, Marco, the uh, cinematography. Uh, yeah. The imagery in this film is, is stuff that stands by. I mean, you know, just a red bandana on their heads for uh, when they're playing Russian roulette is is a an image that still is is there when I think about the film. Uh, Same here. The scene, it's on one of the posters too, Nabil. Yeah, 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 it's on one of the posters as well. Um, you know, the scene that they they have in when they're in Vietnam. Uh, especially early on, and just the tense moments that they built sitting down. Uh, when when you're down in the water, trapped, and you're staring up, seeing what's going on, you don't know what's really going to happen. Like those those kind of just images, them trying to escape. You don't know if everybody's going to get on the helicopter or not, and then you know they just kind of cut away did at you, the end of did it. Did you, you know De Niro and John Savage were, were they didn't have stunt doubles for that part? They did it 15 times. Yeah. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, they actually did it themselves. Oh, I was like, because at one point, I think he says we're falling, and he's actually talking to the director, like, "Hey, we're about to fall." Like on that one scene, and he kept it in because they were slipping from the pole, or the the little side pieces on the helicopter, and uh, that scene, and also when uh, Stevens in the tank, and he's like telling Michael, "There's rats in here." He's not actually talking to Robert De Niro. He's talking to Michael Cimino. Yeah, he's uh, telling him like, "Hey, there's there's real rats in here." Like, and he was fully aware. He's like, "Yeah, I know." He was really freaking out. <laughs> yeah. they, they kept yeah. it because it it, it yeah. looked so real. So 
he was kind of like Cooper Kessis and like he kind of tortured a little him bit. a little bit. Maybe and a little was, bit. he was very much a perfectionist. That was part of the reason with like Heaven's Gate and what was going on with that. But yeah. uh, I think the difference with this film is that the actors he had in this film were very much all in with it. Oh, and, yeah. They were willing. Yeah. Robert De Niro, yeah. Meryl Streep. Like they were all in for taking that kind of direction, even if it was going to be difficult to be better. And you, you could see it as of their careers now, how they are. So he had the right kind of cast to work, work this film to meet the demands that needed to be done for this, for the, you know, the shots. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But the, the imagery on, in the movie is just, even when they're up in the mountains, there's the shots they have of the buck, uh, a couple of them, they were going through like just very, good, very, I can't, especially with like the fog films. rolling into it. So nice, yeah. dude, mm-hmm. I, uh, I agree with that. Nabil. just, uh, everything you said, the, the angles that they use to, intensify all the tension it, it you really do like feel what the actors are feeling in each one of those scenes whether they're you know uh, in the water cage trying to escape or the helicopter scene everything you said it, it just really makes the movie that much more powerful um the the whole thing about trauma because i think that's one like just one recurring theme surrounding the movie and how it changes you and and molds you in in life whatever sort of trauma or experience you may have like that that change in how it 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 makes uh in some way helps you evolve even if it's tragic or not i think that that's a it's a very powerful message to kind of tell in this movie and i think that's what makes it for me at least a must watch even if it is like a three hour long movie and some of the scenes do go on like a bit too long, I, I still think that it's a very powerful film that, I mean, most yeah. anyone would enjoy. Really, yeah. It's like, do, do we need to see Axel not get in the car three times? Fucking right? A. When they fuck with him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, for instance, that's that's a scene it where it's long. like, yeah. okay. That was like three and a half minutes, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like, we for see them drive stuck. up, they stop, he <laughs> waits for them, they come back, he tries to get in. They drive off. They yeah. back out. I'm like, fuck, we're really going to watch this whole fucking scene, dude. Yep. So that's... But, I mean, once again, maybe it just adds to it. Like, it's like a, the whole point is, like, they're trying to show you everything. Like, you practically see a whole wedding happen. So, I mean... Yeah. Yeah. It just, it uh, just yeah. helps establish their relationships, which I really like. Yeah. So, I would say check it out. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I sat down and watched the whole thing through. Which was quite a feat to do. I didn't do Same. one of those. I was gonna be like, let me watch half and half, but I was like, by the halfway point, I'm like, I gotta see how this ends again. So, uh, if you can, if you have 4K, I'd recommend picking up the Shout Factory version of the movie. It's available at Best Buy. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, if you have three hours to kill, go <laughs> ahead and put this on. You know what's funny? It's like De Niro loves these long movies. Like, hey, uh, yeah. Once Upon a Time in America. It's uh, oh, director's cut. It's four, four hours long. Oh, so uh, if you got four hours. Uh, Slight intermission. Check it out. He's used to these films. No, but uh, yeah, I, I loved it. I really, it's I consider this up in the top tier films of like this, this is cinema. You know, like this great American cinema. So take a look at it if you've never seen it. Highly recommend it. So definitely. Okay, right, so that is the end of our review of the Deer Hunter and our podcast. And indeed, that's about as random as it gets, right? We just pulled the 1978 <laughs> movie out of here uh it did win i mean i will mention it did win some academy awards too so christopher walken won won three academy awards yeah yeah, best picture best director and best uh supporting character christopher walken it it was nominated for eight total i think yeah so yeah he was he was incredible 
yeah. in this fucking movie. Like, yeah. I know Robert De Niro killed it with his performance. He was the main star, but it, man, Christopher Walken, damn. Yeah, I mean, he, I feel like a lot of people like relate to Christopher Walken and like his Pulp Fiction kind of acting type. Does that make sense, guys? Like, yeah. Yeah. a lot of like present day people like don't understand. Like, no, the guy's solid fucking actor. Like, this is his roles. He's always. You know, from Batman Returns to going forward, he just went creepy with stuff. But I mean, <laughs> that was his choice. But outside, before that, I mean, yeah, he was excellent in these movies. So, thank you for listening. All the feedback, response, reviews. Uh, Mark, let them know how they can reach us. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Movie Pals Pod. Keep on liking and submitting any topics that you want us to talk about or any suggestions you have for the pod, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of, we will listen to you eventually. Also, if you use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or Stitcher, that's right, we're on all those. Hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode. Also, please rate us, review us. Still not past that 4.5. We really want to get the five stars, guys. Come on. You know you want to give us the five stars. All right, guys. So tune into next episode, episode 85, where we're going to be diving into the Bloomhouse exclusive Amazon films. They released, they're going to be releasing eight films total. Four of them are releasing, so we're going to do the four films that are out. The Lie, Black Box, Evil Eye, and Nocturne. No, those aren't the movies that Marco's been filming, but pretty close to the title, to tell you the truth. But some of these guys, so I'm pretty sure they've been spying on me. You. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta start like, turning off the, the black microphone box. on my phone. We're gonna be doing those four movies, so tune in for those four. So it's gonna be kind of mini reviews, but it'll take more time on those. I thought it'd be kind of cool to knock those out, see if they're worth your time, Sweet. as they're streaming exclusively on Prime Video. So until next time, this is James and Marco and Neville. Have a good one.